we all need to be approachable. And I think that goes back to something I learned a long, another thing I learned a long time ago, you can't fix something if you don't know about it. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So whether you're a small business leader looking to rebuild in this time of uh, economic growth, whether you're an organizational leader who would love to get some hold of our faculty and just run some ideas past them, or you know of an individual who'd make a great guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at IEPUI.edu. Well, it's no surprise a lot of small businesses are really hurting and having to try to turn things around and get creative in order to find unique revenue streams so that they can get back to where they were before COVID-19 broke out. And here in Indianapolis, we found an organization whose revenue artery was totally severed by COVID-19 and yet was able to find a way to pivot in order to stay afloat. Today, I'm joined by the president of Piazza Produce, Marcus Agresta, who's also an IUPUI Kelly School of Business alum. Marcus, just want to welcome you to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's step back. You know, first off, you know, you run an organization that is, is majors. It's a major food service distribution company here in Indianapolis, you know, whose lifeblood has been restaurants. I mean, is restaurants. And in the wake of COVID-19, when restaurants were one of the first businesses totally shut down, I mean, that's your main revenue. So kind of talk us through, you know, what happened at the start when COVID was just coming in. You know, I think like a lot of people, you know, we really didn't have a plan for it. I think in a lot of situations, we have a plan for if our server goes down, you know, we have a generator. You know, the generator tests itself every Monday. Uh, You know, we have a plan for what happens if uh, a tornado hit or something, you know. So we have all these plans in place. Uh, we never had a COVID plan. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I, I cr- clearly remember the Friday I was at, uh, I was in the office and a friend of mine works at uh, the school where my kids uh, attend. And he says, uh, Hey man, they're gonna, they're gonna shut down school, uh, until spring break. And I'm like, no way, you know, get out of here. He goes, no, I'm serious, man. Uh, you know, they're going to shut it down. So the first thing I thought about was we do a lot of schools. We do a lot of restaurants, but we also do a lot of schools. We do a lot of hospitals. We basically sell to anybody that's doing food service. So I, the first thing I thought, man, that, that's kind of stinks for us. You know, schools are a big part of our business and, you know, we're going to lose that revenue stream. And, but, you know, if it's only for a couple of weeks until spring break comes back, you know, not that big of a deal. And then it just kind of snowballed. The first thing that, that you really start to think about in our business is we are in the most highly perishable space there is. You know, once a, a pepper is picked or a tomato is picked, the clock starts, you know, and it starts to deteriorate. So what, what are we going to do with all this stuff? You know, what are we going to do with the stuff we have in-house? What do we do with the stuff that's on its way? You know, when you're getting things from the East Coast, West Coast, you know, Canada, Mexico, um, you place those orders, 
on a Sunday to get them here like for the weekend, the next weekend. So we couldn't stop this stuff. from It's coming. So we're going into St. Patrick's Day. We're going into the NCAA. We had all of these things coming. And it was going to be a big couple of weeks. So it's just like, holy cow, you know, we, what are we going to do with all this stuff? So, you know, got with our procurement team. We stopped everything that we could stop in time, which, you know, you feel really bad about that because you've got long-time vendors, you know, you've been buying stuff from for years and years and years. And, you know, man, it just it's really starts hitting you with that. Like all these range of emotions feel bad for them. But, you know, you have to do it. So we had those conversations, managing the inventory. I mean, we, we managed the inventory every single day. I would say we still are. We always have. But diligently and laser focused on the inventory. Because if you don't sell it, you're going to smell it. That's the saying in our, in our business. So we got with our uh, sales team. And I specifically remember, you know, it was kind of basically – Let's get creative. No ideas, dumb. Just think, think, think. Think about any way and every way that we can. And before we get into, you know, the plan, I want I want to go back a little bit and get back to that that Friday when you all kind of start seeing this unfolding and you're you're starting to get word and you're starting to see restaurants beginning to shut their doors and you have all this inventory come in, you know, because I think you know for me like I didn't realize or you you kind of forget that oh yeah St. Patrick's Day you know the NCAA tournament's supposing to be here and the thousands you know hundreds of thousands of people that you know those those bring. But I want to, for you, you know, as an organizational leader, you had, you were kind of faced with an option. I mean, you were able to, you know, you either had the option of, you know, you just kind of um, just freeze kind of in fear or just get really emotional or, you know, you kind of have to process it, you know, process the information coming in and make decisions. And, and so talk about in those moments, what inside of you were you relying on? And, you know, what were some of those principles um, that you were having to uh, really rely on in order to not let the emotions of the, and fear of the future start to, you know, dictate your actions? That's a great question. And I think, uh, the answer is calm. You got to stay calm. Those around you, um, they're usually going to take on your demeanor, your, your composure. You know, and I think to just run around and, you know, freak out and panic, it's just going to elicit panic throughout the organization. And if you have that, then you can't do those other things that we talked about a moment ago. You can't think clearly. Just trying to make sure that we kept calm, you know, keeping each other calm. And saying things like, we will get through this. We don't have any other choice. Sure. You know, we have no other choice. Um, you know, we've been in business since 1970, and we've come way too far to not come out of this. So, you know, just being calm and, and reassuring. Uh, sometimes you, you, you say to be calm and you're, going hundred miles an hour inside your own body. But, uh, but I think that helps me to stay calm as well. So you know, staying calm, I say would be the sure core, one of the core principles. 
So let me ask you, you know, with, uh, you know, putting yourself back into, you know, the early onsets when all this was starting to become real and it, you know, it was starting to impact your business, not just your business, because when it impacts your business, it's also impacting the people you care about, you know, the people who, you know, you're employing, the people who are relying on you to, you know, to feed their families as well. I mean, because you're all in it together. I mean, I know you guys are a family there and every organization builds that family, you know, but when people are relying on you kind of when they're saying, Hey, you know what, we, we, what do we need to do? How do you keep yourself calm? You know, and what, what tactics were you using, um, for yourself so that, you know, you could walk into a meeting and you can speak truth, but you can also, you know, do it in a calm, calm demeanor, like you said, so that the the organization didn't just kind of, you know, erupt in fear. You know, I had, I haven't probably learned this until maybe the last several years is, you know, speak from your heart. You know, you got to speak from your heart. Usually that gets you where you need to go. Uh, you, know, you got your gut, your mind and your heart. So you got to have, you got to be speaking with your heart during these times. Uh, you know, we have a really good executive team uh, at the Fresh Edge level and we would have uh, calls. We had calls daily in the beginning. Hell, we even had a call Sunday after that Friday that, you know, and that was how important we knew that we had to get on this thing. So having that sense of urgency to really start to communicate, lean on each other. And we, we talked a lot about, you know, the furlough process, uh, layoff process, and that was tough on everybody. Um, so we had a, we had a point where we talked about, you know, kind of how, how far did we have to go into the organization, uh, to survive? Um, we decided that wouldn't be better if we all, everybody took a pay cut to sacrifice not having to have some people go. That came from the heart, you know. Uh, so so I think that's, that's truly important. And I want to get, I mean, that's a very real conversation to have. And I think a lot of organizational leaders forget about because, you know, I think for a lot of individuals, you know, myself included, you, you want to, you see, um, places of leadership, like, ah, oh, I want to aspire to be in that, in that seat because I love the influence. I love how they can develop people. I love how, you know, you can create and build a culture and you have more, you know, you have more opportunity to really enrich people. But at the same time, there is, a, there is a, a, a negative side to it, I guess, if you want to say, or there's a, there's a hard side to it where, you know, when chaos hits, you're kind of, you have to have some of these conversations and, you know, you really, which, which are really sobering. So how do you as an organizational leader, you know, that's an amazing idea of uh, coming in and saying, you know, yep, we're going to cut, do what every other business does, you know, go, this is how far deep we're going to go. And then everything else, you know, kind of morph about the idea of, this whole sacrifice of a group sacrifice. And then how do you get your team to buy into that? Well, I think it starts with that. We, we, we have a really good culture, uh, in our organizations. Um, and it has to, it has a lot to do with, we genuinely care about each other. Uh, they care about us. We care about them. And that, and that can mean anything. Uh, that can mean, Hey, you got a minute to talk, you know, it might be a personal matter that they just want advice on I think it's just being approachable. We all need to be approachable. And I think that goes back to something I learned a long, another thing I learned a long time ago. You can't fix something if you don't know about it. It's a very, it's a very powerful thing to give somebody permission with that. So learn it in a customer scenario. So used it one time with a, with a group, a 
big co-op of schools. And we had just got them. Uh, we'd worked on trying to get them for a long time. Kind of, you know, finally showed them that our value proposition as a company, service and quality was worth the price. And I specifically remember using that saying, like, hey, and if you are having a problem, if you don't tell us about it, we can't do anything about it. And I remember months go by and we had a delivery time issue that we just kept screwing up, screwing up. And she goes, Marcus, I hate to bother you, but you said that, you know, to tell you about something, you can't fix it if you don't tell about it. I said, don't hesitate. I mean, I want to know, right? And I think a lot of people think that they're bothering you. You know, it's not, you're not bothering me. You know, I want to know when we screw up. But what are you going to do about what are you going to do to fix it? So I think when you get people permission to uh, tell you that you're doing a bad job, man, that just that just does a lot for you. So I know we're talking about culture, but it's the same thing with with your people. I don't know what's going on in your head. I don't know if uh, you're mad because Betty Lou's got a parking spot and you don't, you know, tell me. So I think that's giving people permission to have those conversations and be approachable is another thing that really helps you have a good culture. So we've had a good culture. So moving through this, um, we knew we had to trust each other. We knew we had to have difficult conversations and that wasn't something that we were not used to. We were used to that. So I think, you know, what you were just saying really set the the foundation for how you guys were able to survive. I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of these values instilled within your culture before, you know, this pandemic hit. Um, and I loved, I love, you know, what you were talking about that in your executive meeting, you know, you were sitting in an executive meeting and you guys were, you know, where you were all talking about how can we, you know, manage this storm and not lay anyone off. I mean, and I think, you know, you embracing that ID ideology, even before, you know, you brought your teams in and your, or, you know, your, uh, those underneath you in, I think that is an embodiment of your values. Cause it's so easy for you as an organizational leader to sit in that meeting and say, let's got to pass blame on this team and this person and so-and-so. And you could totally miss, you know, the, the idea of maybe we can all sacrifice together. So getting, using kind of like the framework and the culture of, of, you know, this open door policy and, you know, opening up of ideas and, you know, you can't fix things you don't know about what options, you know, were presented to find a revenue stream to kind of help supplement, you know, when all these restaurants and schools and, you know, hospital demand, all the demand has completely dropped. Um, you know, talk us through what that was and how you guys got to that idea. I think the first thing we thought about was, okay, people are going to still need to eat, right? So that's the first thing you start to think about. All right. Well, that's good, right? So, but they're just going somewhere else, right? They're just not going to restaurants. They're not going to eat at school. So, you know, how can we position ourselves with the product that we have that we need to, to sell now before it goes bad uh, in order to mitigate our, you know, potential losses? But the one thing that we can surely do and be perfect at is communication. We can communicate. So constant communication with our other companies, other divisions on, you know, what it is that we could do to get products into those retail and or other business units. So the second thing that we did 
was we thought about the public, right? How, how can we get this stuff to the public? So we immediately, I mean, when I say immediately, we talk about pivoting. By Tuesday of that week, we had we used social media and all the other avenues to tell the public to come here. We have things for sale. So the the response from the community was was overwhelming. So that was kind of fire sale situation where you know we were just trying to get any kind of money out of whatever we had. You know, even if it was selling at a loss, because you know our first loss is our best loss, right? What grew out of that was okay. We got right on those, the inventory that we could, and then we donated a lot of product to the different organizations around the city as well. We didn't want to throw anything in the actual trash. And then it was like people were saying, "Hey, we really like your stuff." So then we started doing mobile markets. You know, so if we kind of did a hub and spoke, load up a truck, take their pre-orders, and they come and pick the stuff up. And oh, by the way, while they're there, uh, you know, cherries are in season. And we're trying to, you know, sell them out some of those items as well. So the response has been really good. I, you know, people are liking the fact that they can get this great quality product. I think that's an amazing thing. I mean, because here is almost like an act of desperation, just really trying to take the least amount of losses possible um, and embracing, you know, this creativity of, all right, well, we got to sell it somehow, you know, and that's amazing how this act of desperation now has kind of opened up, uh, you know, a new demand or maybe a demand that's always been there, um, but maybe you just wouldn't have discovered if you weren't kind of forced into some of these decisions to have to pivot and just try to sell because I mean, especially, yeah, I totally get it for, for an organization that deals in produce and, you know, time sensitive materials, you very, you have a very limited shelf life and you could lose a lot of money, you know, really quick since, you know, you kind of were forced into, you know, having to sell the way you did talk about now how that created a, an improved, I guess, or how did that change your business model going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, just, I think it, it it validates what we do. We've never really worked directly with the public, so uh, they can be a tough crowd, and you know, rightfully so, they're spending their hard-earned money. And you know, when they validate that you got great quality and service, man, that really feels good. You know, that really makes you be proud of the relationships that you have with your vendors. You know, and we'll see if the if that market stays, you know, or is it going to go away? Are people going to, you know, just kind of go to the grocery store instead of, you know, making the trip to the local mobile market or whatnot? So we hope not, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And finally, as we, you know, begin to wrap things up, uh, you know, you were saying before we started recording, I love the quote that you said, you know, you said you saw a quote online saying something along uh, the effect of, you know, the wrong decision is no decision. And I think yeah. that's so true, you know, especially when uh, you're the whole, you know, economic crisis just kind of comes out of nowhere and there's so much happening at once. You're having to make so many decisions or you're faced with so many emotions all at once because, you know, you're, you're weighing the, the business, you're weighing the people that work in your business, you're weighing, you know, your family, you know, all these things are coming in. What 
would you say to an organizational leader who may still be wrestling with they're not certain what to do or they're they're kind of stuck in this mindset that they feel like they can't get out of? What what would an organizational leader need to do, um, or what advice would you give them to to have that permission to uh, adapt and be creative and you know try new things, especially in this tough time? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of a trite statement, but I think some, I mean, maybe sometimes you say it and you, you don't do it, but, you know, we talked in, in a lot of our executive calls about don't be afraid right now to try something new. And if we fail, it's okay, right? But we got to try, you know, and you got to have the permission to fail too. And maybe that's, you know, give your people permission to fail and have their uh, back, so to speak, that when they do, you don't sit there going, ha ha ha, you you know what I mean? But like, that's all right. Let's, you know, I think we're halfway there. Let's, let's just tweak this a little bit. And the other thing I think is, is very important. And I learned this from my father-in-law, Pete Piazza. And it's interesting because this kind of exists throughout all of our organizations and it's, and it's part of our value proposition, you know, into the service bucket. And that's having a sense of urgency, having a true sense of urgency and not so urgent that you, you know, wreck the car, so to speak. But in these times right now, especially now that we're trying to come back and there's some voids where, you know, some products aren't available because growers stop growing or producers stop producing. Well, I'm going to guarantee you one thing. Most of these restaurants aren't going to change their menus because we are out of something. So if we don't have lettuce tonight for restaurant X, do you think they're going to take it off their menu? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to go find it somewhere else. That's exactly right. So that's the thing we talk about all the time. You know, I'm constantly trying to remind everyone is that put your, have some empathy, put yourself in your customer's shoes so that when we wake up tomorrow morning, and we ran out of lettuce or we didn't have a certain product, call the customer, be proactive and say, Hey, what do you, what are we going to do? And they may say, hey, I can wait till tomorrow or you can sub something or I got to have that. Then by God, figure out where we're going to get it because they're not going to change their menu. So that's that sense of urgency though, that I'm speaking of. Again, Marcus Agresta, president of Piazza Produce, a major food service distributor here in Indianapolis, who's also an IUPUI Kelly School of Business alum. Marcus, thank you so much for being our guest here on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.